All right, good morning, everybody. Why don't you grab your seats and stop liking each other so much? I love it. I love it. It's good to be back. Pastor Amrith and I just got back from a Florida vacation, which uh, if you've ever traveled with kids, you know that it's less of a vacation, more of a trip, and all the parents said amen. But thankfully, my dad lives on an island in Florida in isolation, and so we were able to visit him, and then he also helped watch our kids. And so, amen for grandparents. <laughs> Come on, somebody. But we are happy to be here and worshiping together. I heard Pastor Jason, our guest pastor last week, just absolutely killed it. Can I get an amen for that? Whew, anybody cry in that message? I got lots of texts saying, Pastor Pradeep, I was just crying during the whole sermon. On the inside? <laughs> like, I was just crying. I was like, what made you cry? I don't know. I was just crying. I'm like... Okay, well, spirit of crying was in this building, and uh, I uh, will try to recreate that today. <laughs> no, I, pr- I probably won't. Uh, but uh, I, I'm just excited about what God's doing in this place. And for those of you who are new to Kalos Church, welcome. My name is uh, Pradeepan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor that you're here this morning. I know it can be intimidating to come into a church. It can be kind of scary, a little awkward, but I'm going to tell you what, it's worth it to be around these amazing people, to be in the presence of God, to have an opportunity to experience hope and and life when you feel like you're trapped, you're surrounded in death and darkness. I want to let you know there's hope. There's an avenue out. There's a way to experience life and not just plain old life, but life abundantly. Amen. It's amazing. You know, at the end of the service today, we're going to have a principal from Medina Elementary School speaking because we're participating next week in something we call our Jubilee Reach Serve Day. And uh, on Saturday next week, we're all going to gather as the church, you know, like over 70 churches in this area. And we're going to partner with our public school district and we're going to clean up classrooms, help teachers get ready for the school year. And it's just an amazing opportunity to show the beauty of Jesus. Like we're not just a holy huddle. We don't just gather here and pray, but we're going to make a difference in a tangible way. And so, hey, if you want to be part of a church, be part of a movement that says, hey, Jesus is beautiful in tangible ways, I would love for you to take this white piece of paper on your chairs, fill it out, and say, hey, I I will participate in the serve week uh, next Saturday. I will join up with Kalos Church as we get ready to bless Medina Elementary School in a tangible way. It's going to be so fun where we gather together. Anybody been part of the serve day in the past? It's a blast. We laugh. We we clean in dirty elementary school areas together. We truly get in there for the glory of God. It's going to be so fun. And then next Sunday, we won't be gathering here in the Hilton. We're actually canceling our individual Kalo service. And about uh, 20 churches are going to be gathering in the downtown church where we get to worship as the Church of Bellevue. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be like a unified worship session. We're going to hear from Pastor Scott Dudley from Bell Prez Church. And then Pastor Amrita and I actually were asked to share a little bit about Kalos Church to thousands of people in the downtown park. Pretty amazing. Like, they've asked speakers in the past, like Francis Chan, Bob Goff, and now, like, Amrita Jeeva. So it's going to be no pressure. Our hopes are high, honey. Yeah. Well, our last sermon in the book of John. How many of you guys have enjoyed walking through John this summer? Reading together. It ha- I was, like, kind of worried going to the series. Wow, that's a lot of John. 
I mean, I, I've, been, I've been accused of being on the john for a long time, but never in this way, and uh, <laughs> never in this way before. But it, it's actually, it hasn't felt very long to me. It's been very refreshing, just in the presence of Jesus, looking at the words, looking at the ways of Jesus, reading as a church. I've, I've felt a refreshing, just basking on the story of Jesus. And, we saw in the beginning of John, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, you know, this allusion to uh, Genesis, and then we see that it was really cosmic in the beginning of John. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. It's kind of this cosmic, but we're going to find in chapter 21 that it becomes more personal, and it goes from this idea of a distant God describing God to the Gospel of John ending with a description of John and how God has impacted him. And there's a description that the author John has about himself, and I, I think it's fitting because we see the thesis of the book of John in chapter 20 when he says, I wrote this that you might believe, and by believing in Jesus Christ, you might experience life. And it goes from this description of God, and then experiencing life, John finds himself describing himself. And we're going to read a passage from 20 through 25 in the 21st chapter. And I want you to see if you can identify how John describes himself after having this encounter with Jesus. Let's read. It says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things, who wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the word world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this book. And I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. The title of my message today is Describe Yourself in Five Words. Did you notice how John describes himself in that passage we just read? If you didn't, don't worry. I'll get to it in point two. But this idea of describing yourself, it can be kind of difficult. Have you ever had a job interview where they say, hey, describe yourself in five words or less, use examples, and you're like, I don't know where to start. You know, as a Sri Lankan, American, do I start with that to describe myself? As a lover of pain and puns, is that how I should describe myself? As a Enneagram three, wing four, is that how I'm supposed to describe myself? As a handsome man, the envy of all, is that how I'm supposed to describe? I mean, this is an internal struggle I have, you know? I don't know if you've ever been there. How would you describe yourself? Like, what is the title? How would you prove yourself to the world and to others that you are interesting, that you are worth something? You know, I, I've seen online, not personally, but I've seen online in the world of Tinder. I'm happily married. I'm not on Tinder, which is a dating service, but I like looking at interesting Tinder bios on uh, various discussion boards and things like that, and on Instagram and memes. And I've seen that people who are in this dating world have to really write crafty bios to attract 
a suitable partner. Anybody in the dating world, and you know, it's a, it's a hard world writing a, a bio and describing yourself online. Maybe it's hard to write a, 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 a you know, a Twitter bio or an Instagram bio, maybe your Facebook, maybe your LinkedIn bio. It can be very dis- difficult to describe yourself. Can I get a good amen? Like, where do I start? How do I prove that I'm worth having a conversation with? I want to show you some of these Tinder bios I found online that I think are pretty, pretty funny. And uh, can we put up some of these pictures? Uh, so here's, uh, here's one. 80s music brings me back to the good times, like when I wasn't alive. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, all right, Andrew, Andrew Jennings here. If we matched, I already told my mom about us. <laughs> Seems a little desperate, but let's go with it. All right. I lost my watch at a party once. An hour later, I saw some guy stepping on it while he was harassing some woman at that party. Infuriated, I immediately went over, punched him, and broke his nose. No one does that to a woman, not on my watch. I love it. For the love of God, someone please date me so I can stop bringing my mom to costume parties. <laughs> Man, it's hard to prove yourself in this world of dating today. All right, two reasons to date me. Because you'd be the good-looking one? Please. Andrew Jennings again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll carve our initials onto a tree on our first date. It's the most romantic way to let you know I have a knife. <laughs> but I respect it. I respect it. All right, I'm the kind of girl you can take home to your family. I will then get closer to them than you are, and we will slowly phase you out. Anyone have a family like that? Uh, I'm the kind of guy you can take home to meet your mom. She'll think I'm charming, kind, and a bit sexy. All right. She falls in love with me. I think I feel the same. We get married. I'm your dad now. I confront you. Young lady, why do you have a Tinder account? You are now grounded. <laughs> that escalated. I love it. I'm the grandma in the first picture, but after a Freaky Friday type situation caused us to switch bodies, I've been trapped inside this ugly idiot for weeks. Please help. If anyone can give me contact with Lindsay Lohan for advice, that would be greatly appreciated. The old body switcheroo. <laughs> Our last one, don't buy Colgate whitening toothpaste. This is guaranteed whiteness in 14 days. It's been two weeks, and I'm still Asian. <laughs> been there. Been there. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> it is hard to prove yourself online, especially when you're put in this situation where you have to, in a very brief paragraph, describe yourself. Amen? And I just think... In this world, sometimes when we are forced to prove ourselves, forced to describe ourselves, we can get in what's, I don't know, maybe a comparison trap where we like have to prove that we're taller than other people, smarter than other people, more interesting than other people, that we are worthy of your attention, that we're worthy of a date, that we're worthy of a second date, and maybe not just in the dating world, but sometimes in our work, in our hustle, in friendships, maybe in coming to church, we feel like we have to be something more. We have to fight to really have a competitive advantage in this world. And it's just 
a comparison trap. Man, if only I could be more like this person, or if I could be better looking or smarter or more athletic or more accomplished or more rich or just something more er, something, if I could just be the best in one area, then maybe I would be special. And I don't know if you've ever felt in that comparison trap. You feel like you have to be competitive, but eventually it just, doesn't it get tiring trying to prove yourself over and over and I don't know if you've ever gotten to the point where you just kind of get tired and you want to give up on it. You just want to check out, I'm sick of proving myself. And uh, I think when we compete against one another, it brings up some of the worst in us. There's another yearbook picture I want to show you. And uh, here's kind of what I see is going on in our culture when we compare ourselves. It's not enough that I should succeed. Others should fail. (laughs) And it can kind of bring out the worst in us when we feel like we have to prove ourselves over and over and over again. C.S. Lewis says it like this. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Have you ever noticed that kind of comparison trap that our culture is falling into? I'm, I'm buying this house, I'm buying this car, I'm getting these clothes, I'm, I'm doing it for the gram, just so I can be a little more interesting, just so I can prove that I am worthy, I am enough, I matter. And I, I just found, though, when we find ourselves in the comparison trap, it doesn't produce what we're looking for. When you compare yourself to others, it produces typically two things. It produces pride or it produces insecurity. It produces a mentality where, ah, I'm glad I'm not that person. And we see in the scriptures, Jesus warns us, hey, when you pray, don't pray like the, the, the religious elite pray. Don't pray like, hey, Lord, thank you. You didn't make me a bad person like this person. Thank you. I'm not like falling into sin. Don't pray that way. That's just prideful. And that can happen when we compare ourselves. Oh, man, they only have like 30 followers on Instagram. Oh, they're only making this much money. Oh, they're, they're still single. Oh, you know, we judge people and we have this sense of pride. And that's what happens when you compare yourselves to others. It produces pride or it can produce this insecurity like, oh my goodness, I'm not where I should be. Oh my goodness, the grass is greener on the other side. Why am I not better? What is wrong with me? And I've just noticed if you want to rhyme, when you compare yourself to me, you will find pride or insecurity. None of them honor God, right? Compare yourself to me and you'll find pride or insecurity. But we live in a culture that tells us you need to compare yourself to others. And I think a lot of us deal with this insecurity. I'm not enough. And it creates a cycle where we have to put others down and prove that we're better than others so that we can prove to ourselves that that we matter and we're worthy of love. Stephen Furtick says this about insecurity as in comparison. The reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. Have you ever been depressed looking at social media? You're like, ah, they are so much better than me, but we're just judging them based on the best of their life when we see the worst of our lives behind the scene. You know, in this passage in chapter 21, Peter seeing him 
said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? The comparison trap. And last week we saw with Pastor Jason, Peter has this amazing encounter with Jesus where Peter had felt stuck. Jesus restores him. He says, hey, I know you betrayed me three times, but hey, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, you follow me. The very next verse, Peter is looking at John and says, Jesus, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, hey, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Like, stop comparing yourself to John, Peter. Look at me. Follow me. If you compare yourself to me, you will find pride or insecurity. Don't worry about your pecking order. Just follow me, Jesus says to Peter. I mean, there's so many times, even Pastor Ruth and I, when we have a big family announcement, we'll both post it on Instagram at the same time and then mock each other if we have more likes than the other. <laughs> oh my goodness, you unpopular idiot. <laughs> it's like, what? let's just celebrate the birth of our child. <laughs> you know? But no, we're competing. Who got more likes? Who's more interesting, you know? And Instagram, the company, is even feeling this. They're, they're feeling like the quality of posts are going down because people are competing for likes. And it's actually creating mental health issues, especially amongst our teens, where people are finding their identity and validation by how many likes do I get? And if I, if I don't get enough likes on my posts, it wasn't worthy of posting and me sharing my life wasn't worthy of posting, so maybe my life isn't worthy of living. You know, the head of Instagram said about this, because they're going to experiment with something kind of radical, where they're going to get rid of likes. They're experimenting with it in eight countries already, so that we can focus more on the quality and not the competition. He said, we don't want Instagram to feel like a competition. Mr. Mosseri said at the event, we want people to worry a little less about how many likes they're getting on Instagram and spend a bit more time connecting with the people they care about. And I, I think that's the right direction. Instead of it being a competition, I think if we want to avoid the comparison trap, we need to focus on connection more than comparison. In life, in our relationship with God, in our spirituality, in our discipleship process, in our jobs, in our families. Instead of competing with one another, let's connect with one another. We need to focus on connection more than comparison. And I, I like that in, uh, in verse 20, it says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper. And so in this passage... We see two examples, kind of Peter and John. Peter is focused on John, but John, and remember I told you I was going to tell you how the author of the Gospel of John uh, describes himself, and there, there's some controversy on who actually authored the Gospel of John, but I mean, I'm going to go with John as the author of John. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. I'm taking a bold stand here. <laughs> I think John wrote John. Anybody with me? I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, though, there is controversy around that. Uh, so, so Peter is focused on John, but John is focused on Jesus. And John, the author of John, he describes himself in five words. I love it. Then Peter turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that a beautiful description of himself? Yeah. 
the disciple whom Jesus loved, and then a little adding on to it, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper. I have that reputation in some circles. Men's small group. <laughs> but I, I love this idea. <laughs> Awkward environment. But that's how he describes himself. Don't judge me, judge the scriptures. <laughs> and so he, I, I love this whole idea that John was so focused on connection that his identity was rooted as the disciple whom Jesus loved. To the fact that he didn't even use his own name. He didn't write John. He wrote the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm encouraged by this in so many ways. I'm encouraged that he wasn't striving to compare himself. He was focused on his connection to Jesus. I'm also encouraged for a valid example on how to use the word whom. Like this helps me use that word right. Amen? Anybody can confuse? Whom are you? I don't know if I use that word right. But his identity was so wrapped up in the love of Jesus that it became his identity. It's how he saw himself. And when we see ourselves as loved by Jesus, oh my goodness, it makes a big difference. In fact, in the Gospel of John, there are six times where John identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. There are moments in our lives where we need to choose, where am I going to find my worth? How am I going to describe myself? And we see John saw himself, saw his identity as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, uh, at the 4th of July celebration this year, I was actually at the Van Pelt's house, which was amazing. It was a great 4th of July celebration. They have property right on the water. And uh, as it got dark, a lot of houses on that lake started, uh, you know, firing off fireworks. And there wasn't what seemed to be a lot of regulation. <laughs> it seemed like pretty dangerous and pretty amazing. I loved it. And as it got dark, you know, Dale, Dale was there. If you guys know Dale, he's part of our community and just had a baby with Lydia. Amazing. Uh, he said, hey, I, I was going to hang out at this party for a little bit, but I was invited to another uh, 4th of July party. I'm not sure where it is. Let me Google map it. He Google maps it, and he finds out it's like two minutes away via the water. We're like, this is amazing, and it's getting dark, and there are fireworks in the sky, and he says, hey, I'm just going to take the boat over there. And I go, I want a boat to a party. Can I come with you? I'm right there, you watch all the children, where I, and I'll just boat off into the darkness. And she's like, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I get on a paddle board. It is almost pitch black, and we, we go into this dark water journey, and there's fire falling on us from the sky. And it is so scary. There's boats driving around the water. They can't see us. Brown man in the dark water. Not a good combination. I'm on this paddleboard. Fire, smoke. We go to this dock. Dale said, hey, my friends said go to this dock. I'm like, are you sure? That looks a little shady. We go there. And I'm not joking. They had just lit a whole, like, pallet of fireworks. And as we paddleboard there, they go... What are you doing? Ye who emerged through the fog on the water, turn around, go away. We're like, oh my goodness, they're, they're lighting off like M80s and like quarter sticks of dynamites. And I'm like, why are we paddling towards this? And so we're like turning around in the water. It is really scary. And finally, we get there. We see that they have a whole U-Haul filled with like $100,000 worth of fireworks. 
children walking around it, no supervision. It was amazing. I'm like, Dale, you've done a great thing. Thank you for bringing me to this party. So I'm like, okay, there's, there's like, I don't know, 100 to 200 young adults all huddled around this. There's like four fire pits. And I'm like, what kind of party is this? It feels really dangerous. It feels kind of chaotic. And I noticed that there's no alcohol here. I'm like, this is a weird party. Like, where am I? And I ask people around, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're young adult Christians. We're just worshiping God with fire and fireworks. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm talking to this guy who looks like me. And that's an amazing experience. And, and as, as we are talking, I'm not joking, someone threw one of these pallets of fireworks into the communal fire pit. And suddenly, these mortars start going off. And this guy I'm talking to, he starts diving in front of women and children to protect them from the fireworks. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, what is going on? And fireworks are going off all around us. I thought it was more dangerous on the water. Now it's just as dangerous on land. And he, he, he comes back to me, and his whole left side is filled with scars from the fireworks. And he's like, I'm burning currently. I'm like, this is crazy. And so as, as the firework situation dies down, people are like, who are you? Where did you come? I'm like, I emerged from the water. <laughs> they're like, how did you get here? And they're, they're like, who are you? I'm like, I'm pre-even, da 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 But then Dale, he walks next to me, and they're like, do you know Dale? I'm like, yeah, Dale, you know, I'm his pastor. He comes to our, our church, Kalo's church. They're like, what? He goes to your church, and I, there's this group of, like, hundreds of young adults. They all love Dale. They all celebrate Dale, and pretty soon, I'm just introduced, not as Pradeepin, but I'm just introduced as the pastor of Dale. <laughs> they're like, what? He goes to your church? I'm like, hi, my name is Pradeepin. And they're like, ah, this is, oh, you're the pastor of Dale? Oh, it's Dale's pastor! Suddenly, I have lost my identity and I'm just known as the pastor of Dale. And I loved it. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like, it wasn't this idea of like, you know, I had to network with all these people. I had to prove my own worth. It was because of my relationship to Dale, I already felt a sense of worth at this party. And I, I just thought that was so cool. I was popular via Dale. <laughs> my identity is pastor, friend of Dale. And in this story, I think John has a similar experience. Like, I don't have to prove myself anymore. I've been spending all this time with Jesus. I'm, I'm simply the disciple whom Jesus loved. My worth is via Jesus. My popularity is via Jesus. My identity is via Jesus. I have emerged from the baptism waters through the fire onto the breast of Jesus and Dale. <laughs> I, I love that. And how do you describe yourself, though? I mean, is it like I, I'm this person who works this job or... I have this much money, or I've accomplished this much, or I have this many followers online. Like, would you describe yourself if someone said, who are you? Would you say, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved? Would you say, I'm a, a son, a brother, a mother, a father? 
I'm, I'm someone who's stuck in addiction. I'm someone who keeps on messing up. I'm someone who doesn't know my direction or why I'm on the earth. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I am. I don't have a label. I don't fit in this nice little box. And I just want to let you know, for those of us who are searching for worth and identity, we already have one. We are the people. We are the disciples whom Jesus loves. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Can we say that all together? I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Let's say it one more time. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. And I, I just love this. For those of us who, who think Jesus doesn't play favorites, I want to let you know Jesus only has favorites. If you are in his phone contact list, you would be placed under favorites. Jesus loves you. There's not one person on this earth that Jesus loves more than you. Jesus loves you. He's crazy about you. He's wild about you. You are loved and you are worthy of his love. He has made sure of it. He created you on purpose and for a purpose. And I know there are so many things that try to push us down. So many ways we try to compare ourselves. So many ways other people compare ourselves. And they put these labels on us. They tell us we're not enough. We're not worth it. We have to work harder to be important. We have to be more creative to matter. But I want to let you know, your worth, your identity is via Jesus. You are the people that Jesus loves. You are important to God. And if you're important to God, you're important to everybody and everything. We are the disciples whom Jesus loves. Where do you find your worth? Because I want to let you know, Jesus He is my worth. Jesus isn't just part of my life. Jesus is my life. He's the source of hope and direction. And for those of us who just feel like, ah, empty on the inside, ah, life has lost its vigor, connect to Jesus. I love that John describes himself adding on to this. He says, hey, I'm also the one who laid on the breast of Jesus. My head was so close to him that I could hear his heartbeat. I am connected. I am close to Jesus. I lean on him. I know him. I want to be with him. I remember when I was in middle school and I was first dealing with so much depression, dealing with the divorce of my family, not knowing my identity, not knowing my worth. One of the most dreaded places for me to be and to experience was the public school cafeteria. Anybody ever been there? Where do I sit? Who do I sit with? I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, it's, it's an intimidating environment, especially on the first day of school. Like, where do I go? What clique am I? Am I a jock now? Am I, what, who, what do I be? And I, I remember finding this table, and uh, it was like single file kind. Of, it was like a long and narrow table, and there was a hierarchy of how you could sit. The coolest person would sit on this end next to the wall, and then people who are less cool would sit further and further away from the popular kid. And I remember wanting to be 
somewhere. And this wasn't even the most popular group, but I remember I need, I need to find my place. I need to find the right seat to sit at. And so finally, I got into the, 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 the sixth rung away from the most popular kid. And I was like, okay, I have a place. This is a weird place to be. I, can't, I have to lean over to listen to this guy talk. You know what I'm talking about, those long tables, pet peeve of mine, big party and this long skinny table. And I'm like, we're not allowed to talk. Nobody really wants to hear us. And so we just kind of lean over. Maybe we can be part of the conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm worthy of love. <laughs> Acknowledge me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Try to sneak in a joke, maybe try to enter the conversation. But it was always the battle of insecurity. How do I measure up? You might feel that way at work. You might feel that way in your family. You might feel that way here at Kalo's church. Oh, I'm just not on the inner circle of the church. How, how can I be important? How can I belong? And I, I just remember there was this one day a couple people didn't show up to school. And, and so I got to sit closer to Joe, who is like the kingpin. And they actually said, hey, Pradeepin, what are you? This actually happened. Pradeepin, why are you sitting there? That's not your spot. And so I, they moved me back. And the seats were empty. And I, I remember this so distinctly. They said, when I sat in my seat, peace and harmony has been restored. And I was, I was devastated, honestly. I, I was so broken. But here in this story of Jesus, I love that, that John, he describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves, the one who could lay his head on the chest of Jesus. And I, I think that's an opportunity for all of us. For those of us who are in the comparison trap, trying to find out where do we fit, where do we belong, we can lean on the chest of Jesus at the table. We have a seat next to the most important person ever. We have a place next to the source of life, the creator of heaven and earth, the one where we build our whole calendar up before Jesus and after Jesus. That's the Jesus who loves us and says, hey, sit next to me. You can lean your head on my chest. I love you. You are my favorite. You are important and you matter. And I I just want to say for all of us who have these feelings that say, I'm not worthy, I don't matter, it's a lie. Yes. It's a lie. You are worthy of love. Yes. You are worthy of purpose. You are worthy of hope. And Jesus gives us all a seat at the table. And we don't find our worth by comparing ourselves to each other. We find our worth by connecting to Jesus. Say it with me. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. One more time. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. One more time. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for the book of John. Thank you so much for a revelation of who you are, for freedom, for hope, for life. Thank you for a seat at the table that we are worthy of love. You've made that so possible. You've made that so evident. Thank you for laying down your life for us, letting us lean up against you. Hear your heartbeat. Feel your love. 
For those of us who are just struggling with our identity and worth, Lord, would you just wrap your arms around us right now? We receive your love. We're not going to discount it. We're not going to replace your love with our lies. We're not going to fight it. We receive your love. Just tell that to Jesus in your words. I'm not going to fight your love anymore. I receive your love. I'm not going to find my worth by comparing myself to others. I receive your love. You know, in this moment, Jesus loves you so much, and I want you to know that. That's why we're obsessed with the beauty of Jesus, and you can open your eyes. Look up here, and I'm going to transition off the stage in a little bit, but if you're here today and you've just, I don't know, just been stuck in these traps of self-hatred, where you don't feel worthy of the love of Jesus, you don't, you don't feel like he loves you. Say, I'm the disciple Jesus judges. I'm the disciple Jesus hates. I'm the disciple that messes up time and time again. I just want to let you know Jesus does love you. You're his favorite. And the best decision I ever made in my life was saying, Lord, I'm just going to stop fighting your pursuit of my heart. I surrender. I will receive your love. I will receive your life and your hope. And if you're in this place, you've been stuck. You've been in darkness. You've been surrounded by death, and you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to surrender to the love of Jesus. I'm going to make a decision to follow Jesus. I would love to pray for you. And so why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to count to three and have you raise your hand real briefly just so I can see it, and I will include you in a prayer for all of us surrender to Jesus. So if you want to be included in that prayer, on the count of three, would you lift up your hand? One, two, three. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. Amen. And you put your hands down. Is there anybody else? Awesome. Awesome. And so now I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. We're going to put some words on the screen, something to articulate maybe what's on our heart right now. A prayer of surrender, a prayer saying, Jesus, I want you. I need your love. Lord Jesus, let's pray this all at the same time. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? And we are the disciples that Jesus loves. What a great honor.